Um, as we get started this morning, um, let's pray. And then we'll open up to the book of John, chapter 15. If you've got your scripture journal, you can open up there as well. And uh, I'll try to make this as pithy as possible. But there are some hard things within this text. Um, and the thing that I love about scripture is, as I read it, I can't tell it what to say. It tells me who God is. In this whole series, we've been going through the I Am. Who does Jesus say that he is? And I think there'll be two things this morning. One, I hope and pray that you'll be greatly encouraged by the love of God for you through Christ. And two, I think we'll be challenged to exalt him. So let's pray together and let's ask God to speak to us this morning. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, that Jesus would be treasured above all other things in the hearts and lives of us. Lord, that as we look into your word, your holy scripture, Lord, that you divinely orchestrated, wrote through the inspiration of your spirit, through ordinary men. Lord, that we would grow in our love for you. That we would confront the areas in our lives and hearts where we don't believe you are our greatest treasure. And so, God, I pray that you would do a miracle this morning, and I pray that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I stand up here to preach this sermon through this text, not as someone who has got this all figured out. In fact, I hesitate to even preach this sermon because I know in my life there are a lot of pruning that the Father needs to do in me. So I come to you to tell you what Jesus reveals about himself, and I pray that this would speak to your heart this morning. So in John chapter 15, we're following up. Let me give you a little historical context before we jump into it. This is Jesus claiming that he is the vine. He's using a metaphor. A metaphor is just a story or a picture comparing one thing to another. And so he's comparing this, what it means to be in the vine. And as we get into this text, I want to share with you before we get there what is happening up to this point. Just two chapters ago, Jesus, in John chapter 13, was with his disciples in the upper room. This is the Passover, this big Jewish feast where they celebrated what God did back in Egypt, where they sacrificed an innocent, pure lamb and took the blood over uh, the doorpost. And the angel of death passed over them and did not bring the angel of death towards their firstborn. Jewish people would celebrate this every year to remember how good God was to them, that they were set apart for his name, they were his people for his glory. And so they're celebrating the Passover meal, Jesus and the 12 disciples at this point, and he's sharing with them about what's to happen. Just what Jason was talking about during the Lord's Supper and communion, that his eyes were fixed on the cross and he was headed that direction to absorb the wrath of God so that you and I could be reconciled to God. And so Jesus is seeing this. He's seeing the Garden of Gethsemane before him where he'll be abandoned. He's seeing where he'll be betrayed. And he's washing the disciples' feet. And he's saying, you're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And the greatest is on his knees, washing their feet. And 
And as they're in the middle of this meal, one of the twelve gets up and he leaves to go sell out Jesus. Then we get to John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth and all truth that is revealed in this world. And he is the life. And the disciples say, where are you going? Right? He says, where I'm going, I'm going to my Father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what he meant was, was that in the Jewish culture, when you would become engaged to your bride... You were technically considered married. And so what you would do, even though you weren't fully married, didn't have the wedding, you would go to your father's house and you would build a room on or near your father's house on his property so that when you completed it and you celebrated your wedding, you would take your bride into your home connected to your father's house. Jesus was telling them, and they didn't fully understand it, I'm going to prepare a place. And so they said, where are you going? And he says, you cannot come. You cannot come. He says, tell us where you're going. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And they were troubled and they were concerned. And if you read through John chapter 14, Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit. He says, but when I leave, another will come. And then he gets to chapter 15. And he shares this beautiful passage filled with a warning but we should walk away encouraged. And this is the last and final of the John I Am statements. Next week, John's going to be preaching out of Revelation. And this is the last in the book of John before Jesus goes to the cross. So read along with me as we see what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples before all of this happens. In John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in in me. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So I want to point out four things within this text. The first is this. Jesus is the true vine. Now, why would Jesus say this? Why would John record Jesus saying he is the true vine? 
It implies that there are other false vines, right? There are other vines that appear to give life, that appear to be true. And what he was talking about is in their culture, the Jewish people very often symbolize themselves as God's vine. You can read in Psalm chapter 80, this very thing that God set apart his people for his vine, and he is the vine dresser, and he's setting them apart to produce fruit. And if you were a Jewish person back in the day, you believed that. And you believed that the nation of Israel was the vine, and Jesus is counteracting all that and saying, almost to the point you're saying, you heard that Israel was the true vine, he's saying, I am the true vine. That I am the one that gives life. I am the one that salvation comes through. So salvation comes through no one else but through Jesus Christ. Not through any nation. Not through any people. But through one man. And so Jesus is revealing to them, combating against their ideas. He's saying, I am the true vine. He is the one that breathes life. If you know how nature works, and, and I kind of do, <coughs> excuse me, although I am terrible at um, growing things, except for weeds. I'm really good at growing weeds, even in places where there is no dirt. But where there is dirt, there is no grass. And I seed my lawn, and then my kids play in it, and I pull weeds, and they come back. But I do know a couple things. I do know how things work. I remember in science class and photosynthesis and, and the good soil and the seed and water and light and, and then things start to grow and they start to come out. You see, Jesus is comparing himself to this vine and he's got everything coming out of it. And from the trunk or the vine itself is where all the branches sprout from. And on the end of the branches is where fruit comes from. And that fruit wouldn't exist without the branch, and the branch wouldn't exist if it wasn't connected to the life within the vine. The sap flowing through the vine and out to its branches, and it's pulling its resources from the earth. See, Jesus is painting a picture He's saying that of all the things in the world, he is the true vine. Now here's the thing about you and I. We search for other ways to add life and to pull life from, don't we? We don't always bear the right fruit. We may be bearing fruit, but it's because we're connected to a different life source. And Jesus is saying of all things, he is the vine. He is the life source that gives all the good fruit to you and I. And so he's combating against what they may have been thinking. So he says, I am the true vine. This is a beautiful picture of his love for his people because he has done all the work. Right? The, the gospel that you and I believe, the good news that you and I believe is that Jesus did what you and I could never do. And because of what he did, he gives us and you and I life. He is the life. And so the first point we learn from here is Jesus is the true vine. Point number two, we are the branches. Those of us in Christ, we are the branches. In verse 
5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You and I, when we put our faith in Christ, when we trust him for the, what he's done, God then does this thing called, this mysterious thing where he unites us to Christ. When someone puts their faith in Christ, you know what we do as Christians? We, we take their confession, we celebrate that, and then we go back to these baptismal waters behind us. There's no power in the water, just hydrogen and oxygen. But what we're doing is what Romans tells us is that when we go underneath that water, we're symbolizing that Christ went underneath and he died in the tomb. And that as he was raised to life, you and I are raised to life too because the Spirit was at work in us. We are united uniquely to Jesus. So we are in him. We are not the vine. We are connected to him. Paul even talks about this in Romans. He talks about to the, the Roman church, and he was kind of going against them and trying to teach um, these, these folks who had Jewish mentalities that they really still believed they were the true vine. He's saying, listen, God is taking a people, the Gentiles, who you never considered, and he's engrafting them. Now, do you know how this works? You can actually take, um, and, and scientists, I don't know what they're called, um, horticulturalists, they have been trying to make hybrids of different trees and vines. And what they'll do is they'll take a branch off of one and they'll take the other plant or tree and they will delicately slice into it. And they will take this branch and they will fit it perfectly within there, within the slot. They will tie it together and they will put stuff, magic fairy dust on there, whatever they, they use. And over time, this branch becomes a part of this plant it was never intended to be a part of, and it can grow because it's connected to the vine. If you ever go up to Forestdale, you go up TT, curvy roads, and then you go on T, the last stop sign right after V. Higgy Co-op, there's a four-way there. I want you to look. There's a, a little group of trees across going north on the left. There's two trees. Christine and I call this tree the love, these trees the love trees. Because these trees are growing about two foot apart, and there are two branches that have grown together. And so every time we pass, they would say, it's the love tree. They're connected to one another. You see, when we put our faith and trust in Christ for what he has done, he then infuses life into us, and we are united to him. It's a mystery. And it's Christ and his spirit living in us. So all those things that you do that glorify God, it's the spirit at work in you. I share a story of a friend of mine. Because sometimes we look at other people, and I can tell you I am not the example nearly to follow because I, I want to be like Jesus. And so I look myself in the mirror and I realize I'm, I'm the furthest thing from him. But we look at people, we say, wow, look at all the work they're doing. Look at what God is doing through that person. And so we desire that. I'm not saying that desire is bad, but we have to understand that God's uniquely working through you. And sometimes it's the smallest of ways. I have a friend of mine, and uh, he bought a TV from Walmart online. And when you do this, they tell you when it's in the store, and so you go and you pick it up. Well, they happened to ship his to his house. 
And so he thought, well, I'm just going to go to the store and see if they have it in the back. And so he went to the store, the Walmart, and sure enough, they had another TV with his name on it in the back. Temptation. (laughs) And he picked it up, and he put it in his cart, and he got to the front doors. And he said, I can't do this. And he turned around and took it back and he says, I'm sorry, I think they delivered this TV to my house. And you know what? I cheered him on. I said, that is the Spirit of God at work in your life. That is proof that you are engrafted. You are a branch into the vine that gives you life because on your own, you're walking out with that TV. Right? Think back to the times before Christ. Think back to the times where you were living in the flesh And the tension was there, but you decided to go with the flesh. I can. And you get convicted, and you want to make things right. You see, we are the branches, and we are uniquely tied to the vine. Now, Jesus goes on. Not only are we uniquely connected to the vine, but he works in us while we're connected to the vine. See, the thing we have to be asking as Christians is, are we bearing fruit? Are you, as a follower of Christ, does your life reflect that there's fruit from the Spirit of God? We used to have this tree in my backyard. I think it, I think it was an apple tree. It was always sickly. This was when growing up. And the wood was real soft, and the fruit was always terrible. Always rotten. Finally, we cut it down and burned the tree. We, as branches connected to the giver of life, should be producing fruit. And fruit manifests itself in in quite a few different ways. But you and I have to take a spiritual inventory and ask, what is the fruit in my life that shows the evidence of my faith in Jesus? And if the fruit in my life is outside the boundaries of God's word and his kingdom, then the fruit we're bearing is not fruit from the Father. It's fruit from the world. And it's bad fruit. And it's unhealthy fruit. We live in wine country, don't we? You can go a couple hours down that way and you're in mid-Missouri wine country. You can go an hour that way and you're... It's, it used to be called uh, Augusta, now I think it's called uh, Hoffman Estates. <laughs> and I remember going to a wedding um, for a family. Uh, Christine's cousin was getting married, and we went to the, to the winery. I don't know which one it was. And if you drive by, you see these vines coming up off the ground. And they've got, they've got them up off the ground because for a couple reasons. One, it's easier to pick the fruit. And two, it's also easier to assess how well and the health of the vine. And so they've got them up off the ground, and they're in rows, and they're really beautiful. And so I may have taken the kids over during the wedding and said, hey, let's just walk through the vineyard real quick. And, and I'm like, why don't you pull one of those grapes off? And they pulled them off, and we, we tried them. And a vine dresser walks through the vineyards, and they're checking the health of the vine, and they're checking the health of the branches. And they're checking the health of the fruit as evidence that the branch is connected in a right way and there's no disease going on. 
You see, Jesus says some hard things here when we read this text. He talks about if the branches aren't producing fruit, do you know what he does? The vine dresser, that's God the Father, he cuts off the branches and he throws them in a pile where they dry and they wither and then he takes them and he burns them. That is a hard teaching, isn't it? Because you and I have to be honest about the fruit in our lives. Now, I want to, I want to say something else about this. The reason the Father prunes and cuts off these branches is because they're taking life from the other branches. The life that throws through the vine isn't going to be used up on a branch that isn't producing good fruit, and so he cuts it off. Now, you may be saying, I don't see a lot of fruit in my life. Am I saved? I felt that way. Have you felt that way? Here's the thing. And a pastor of mine in Eureka told me this. That there are seasons of pruning. And the reason the Father prunes the branches that aren't producing fruit is to help them produce fruit. And you may be in a season where the Father is pruning you. And you know what? Pruning is not... The easiest thing. Pruning is cutting off things that are harmful to the branch. And sometimes during that season of pruning, the fruit doesn't really manifest itself as you might want it to look. But here's the thing. After you're pruned and the things are cut off that are destroying you, that are leading you away, that aren't producing good fruit, eventually spring comes. And eventually that that branch is finally healthy. It's because God loves you that he prunes the things in your lives that are keeping you from glorifying him. Um, I don't say this pridefully. Um, I say this because I struggled with this. Um, And the heart within this man desires these things. But above all else, I desire Jesus. And there was a time in my life where I would go and watch, and I'm just using this as an example, for Rob Rash. I would fill my mind and my heart with things on a big screen that go boom, and with loud speakers surround. And I would watch things, and I would justify those things, because we all are good at justifying things, aren't we? I can try to make things holy that really aren't holy at all. I can say, well, there was a spiritual message in there. Oh, I didn't watch that part. Oh, it doesn't affect me. Can I tell you? It absolutely affects you. My four application points at the end, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a, a better illustration of this. But when I was in construction... And I worked with my brothers in the Lord, and we listened to praise and worship. I was lifted up. And I was working on the mission field with the other guys. And before 7 o'clock hit, I'm hearing words that you would never say around your mother. And I'm hearing songs that aren't glorifying to God in any way. 
And I would text Christine, and I would say, pray for me. I am feeling angry. Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth is rooted in the heart. What comes into the heart, what we allow into the heart, is what we become. And so we made this decision years ago that we weren't going to watch movies where you saw things you shouldn't see, you heard things you shouldn't hear. And let me tell you, it was hard. But you know what's more important to me? It's bypassing every greatest thing this world could offer and knowing that I'm pleasing Jesus. Now, I use it as an example. Not to say that I'm holier than you because God is still at work. But I'm saying that is because we, if we're engrafted into the vine, the Lord will prune things out of our lives, and it may be painful, and it may be hard, and it may be difficult, but it's because He loves you, and He has a better way for you. The guardrails that He puts in our lives is simply because He loves you. The rules we put in place for our children is not because we want to be mean parents, although sometimes you might just want to be mean. When you put in guardrails in your life for your children, it's because you care for them and you don't want them to get hurt. And even when they do get hurt, what do you do? You pick them up and you care for them and you love them and you nurture them. You say, that's why I told you. God's so much greater than that. And so if we are the branches, we are connected to the vine, and you and I have to understand and figure out, what fruit am I producing? Am I producing good fruit? And if I'm producing bad fruit, am I connected to the vine? If I'm producing no fruit, perhaps you're in a season of pruning, and that's okay. The third thing, as we look at Jesus as the vine, the giver of life, he says this um, in verse 5. Or, Let's see, verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You and I are to remain in Christ, the vine and life giver. We are to remain. Now, um, I'm taking Greek 1, and it's super challenging. It's really difficult. And I'm stressed out a lot. But when you start reading words, and you start reading their meanings, and you start reading, Greek's a lot different than English. It's similar, but English is always changing, and Greek is not changing at all. There are different tenses, and there's different uh, perfect tenses and imperfect, and there's words that are future. And this word for remain... Meno, it means a continuous action. It means you're continuing to abide in Jesus. You're continuing to remain in Him. It's not that you just said a prayer one time, got thrown in the baptismal, and now it's go and be a good person. Because you and I will wake up the next day and realize, I am not a good person. And apart from Christ, what does he say? You can do nothing. 
But it means that we are continually to remain in Jesus. One of my favorite stories is Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10. Some of you are Marthas. And there certainly is a time to be a Martha. But we must always be a Mary. Do you remember this story? Jesus comes to Mary and Martha. This is uh, the sisters of Lazarus, one of Jesus' good friends. And he comes to the house, and as he's, Jesus kind of popped in. Are you those kind of people that just pop in unannounced? Good for you. Good for you. You're very bold. Jesus just popped in. It's like a madhouse. They're like, what do we do? We got to give them food. We got to sit down. We got to clean the house. We got to sweep the dirt floors. And so Martha is in the kitchen, or I don't know what she's She's getting things ready. She's getting a meal ready for Jesus. She's getting the house ready for Jesus. And little old Mary, you know where Mary's at? She's not doing a darn thing. She's just sitting there, looking at Jesus, listening to him talk. And Martha comes in, and she is not happy. I have six kids at the house. When it's chore time, no one's really worried about the chore they have to do. They're worried about what other chores the other kids are doing. (laughs) Martha comes in, and she is so upset. Jesus, Jesus, why are you letting Mary just sit there? Tell her to get up and help me get things ready. And Jesus turns her and he, and he, he loves her. He says, like, looks at her as a daughter. And he, he says, Martha, Martha, my, my daughter. She's chosen the right portion. She is sitting and abiding and remaining with Jesus, which is what you and I should be doing with our lives. You've got to fight against every impulse to do anything other than sit with Jesus because the world will consume you. And you will consume your time with things that will not bear fruit. But if you want to bear fruit, you sit at the feet of Jesus. We continue to be with Jesus. Point four, we bear fruit by remaining in Christ. You may be saying, what is the fruit. Let me just give you a few examples of what fruit might be. Galatians 5.22, do you know this little verse in Scripture? After Paul lays out all the things we shouldn't be doing, he lays out the things we should be doing. Because we're, we're Jesus followers, man. We, we need to be like Jesus. Not like your buddy at work. Not like your friend who is living for themselves. You need to be like Jesus. And so Paul lays out what it should be like. And he says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like, close your eyes for a minute and just think about this. For fruit to manifest in your life, doesn't this sound good, love? Joy, peace. Man, peace. Patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't you desire that for people to treat you that way? To love you? To bring joy to your life? To bring peace to your life? 
Don't you wish people were a little more patient with you? Don't you wish people were more kind to you and good to you? Oh, faithfulness. Don't we wish people were faithful to us? Don't we wish people were gentle towards us? Don't we wish people had more self-control? Now, that's just one example. You know, I can think of other ways that we see fruit. I, I see people who share their faith with people. They want people to know who Jesus is because he gives them life. And so there's certainly the Great Commission with Jesus empowers you uniquely to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him, and there is fruit. The way that we love one another. The way that the Spirit helps us get through each day when we struggle. We must be people that are bearing fruit. This is why Jesus says, I am the true vine. When you're connected to him, he will, his spirit will move in you and through you and enable you to do things you could never do on your own. Repentance, that's a fruit. Turning from what you believe to be something that's better than Jesus, you know what we call that? Idolatry. And it exists everywhere. And when we notice it, we repent from it. We turn from it and turn back to Jesus because we're believing in something else. I was reading a book called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. And as he's laying out a short chapter on what the gospel is, he says, says this, everyone is an unbeliever. But you're sitting there thinking, I'm not an unbeliever. I know Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. Yeah, did you put your faith in him fully yesterday? Last week? See, when I put my faith in anything else, I'm not trusting Christ. When I put my faith in finances and how much I have to do to gain those finances, I'm not putting my faith in Jesus. Now, there's a difference between working hard and putting our faith in finances. How about all the social media likes and followers? I got off. I don't say that. I didn't make a post. I'm telling you now, so it's kind of weird. It was not bearing fruit in my life. We have to continually put our faith and trust in Jesus. And some repentance is a great fruit. When we put our hope in relationships, right? Like, ladies, you're waiting for a knight in shining armor. Put your faith in Jesus, trust Him. That person will not complete you. Likewise, for men, we may think the same thing. We have this idea of what a relationship will be like. Something that could never 
completes you. We're putting our faith in things where we should be putting our faith in Jesus. The list could go on and it's endless and it's something that we have to constantly look into our hearts. So how do we bear fruit? If Jesus is the true vine, the life giver, the fruit bearer in our lives, how do we bear fruit? I want to share a study with you. Um, Because it's really simple things. There was a study done, um, and I forget the research company. It wasn't Barna or Pew Research. They did a study on millennials. Millennials are those, I think at the point of the study, were 18 to 38. They may be more like 19 to 39. There's kind of some fluctuation in there. If you're under 40, you're a millennial. Millennials have left the church in droves. Not just the church, but religion. This is now the largest people group within our country. The boomers are not the largest anymore for obvious reasons. The millennials are the big group, and they left faith in droves. Why? And this study asked those that were in the millennials, what, how did you keep your faith through growing up in your household, through going to college, because that's usually where you lose faith, and then when you go on to pursue your career? And they wanted to know, what was it about those who kept the faith? What did your parents do? What was your home life like? Can I share? This is not like a scientific equation. Do you want to know what the number three reasons were? They attended church regularly with their family. Do you know what the average attendance of a regular member or attender is? Once every three weeks. That's considered regular. You know what? I don't consider that regular. I'm not making this an idol. I'm not making this a work. What I'm saying is, church should be the priority, and everything else should be the exception. I'm not saying don't go hunt on opening weekend. I took off youth weekend. That was the weekend before. So my kids can get the big bucks before the daddies get the big bucks. What I'm saying is, those need to be the exceptions. This needs to be the standard. Why? Does church save you? Actually, it kind of does. Now you're like, whoa, what do you mean? Jesus saves you. And then there's this thing that we call saving faith. Have you heard this? Sanctifying faith. It means that as you continue to be with the people of God, worshiping the Savior of the world, with other believers, the family of faith, God is working in you to prune you, to make you more like his son. That's called sanctifying faith. These millennials, one of the number one reason that they kept in the faith is because their parents took them to church every week. Because the moment that I dismiss church for something else, I'm saying God is just an accessory. Jesus is is okay when he's convenient. And I don't find that in the word at all. You should make everything else the exception. Not gathering with the local church body. Number two in the study, they read the Bible together as a family. You know those little Jesus storybook Bibles we gave you last Christmas? And we still give those out? 
Christine does this. I don't do this. She does this. She, she reads with the kids every week. She reads them those stories. And we've read them those stories. And if you looked at my life, you wouldn't think that there's, there's not a schedule. Like, I'm like, hey, let's do a New City Catechism tonight. Uh, uh, who is God? And my kids rattle off the answer. I said, hey, here's this verse. What do you guys think it means? My kids ask us to pray with them. Sometimes I have to say, I'm praying with you because they don't want to pray with us. I pray for my kids. Third reason is that they prayed together. So not only did they attend church together and worship, not only did they read the Bible together, they prayed together. Like, this is the simplest things, right? Yet for you and I, sometimes it may feel like it's the most difficult thing or that I feel unequipped or I feel inadequate. Your kids don't care how you pray. They need to see that the faith that mom and dad have in Jesus is real and not just something that's left for an hour on Sunday morning. They need to hear their parents. I constantly come to my kids. Sometimes um, I struggle to do this because I am a prideful person. That's uh, a sin in my life that I'm working on. And I have to confess to them that daddy was wrong. I messed up big time. So what are my points for you this morning? How do you bear fruit? You attend church worship. I said often. I should say every week. Scratch that. You read the Bible daily. You pray daily. And before I get to this last point, I am not a Joy FM I'm not their biggest fan, I'll say it that way. I don't hate them. I don't have a sticker on my car. I'm thankful for that ministry. I'm thankful that they have songs on because my kids listen to those songs in the car. We listen to those songs. And when I hear my kids walking around the house singing worship songs or Christian songs, this daddy heart is overwhelmed with joy. This study also found that if we are listening to music outside, that their parents let them listen to Christian music, I am telling you, it affects your heart and soul. It affects you. It changes you. And I'll add sub-point. Listen to Christian music. Listen to praise and worship music. You don't like it, start a band and change it. It matters. Now, am I saying this is the magic pill that if you take it, your kids will be saved? I am not. What I'm saying is God does honor these things and he uses these things. And I pray for my kids all the time. God, save them. And the last thing I'm going to end on is this. You've got to continue to trust Jesus. You have got to continue to put your faith in him. 
Yes, those other things are important, but the most important thing is that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who loves you deeply, who gave his life for you so that you could serve him. You know what I love in this verse? Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified. How do you glorify Jesus? How do you bear fruit? How do you glorify him? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. You see, there was a disciple that was with Jesus. He was his good buddy. He was his friend. And by all appearances, he appeared to be with Jesus till the end. Yet we know what happened. That branch was cut off. The fruit in our lives proves to the outside world and to one another that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Not just our Savior, but our Lord. I want to leave you with this. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Can you just trust Jesus' love is enough for you? Can you just trust that what he did and the way that he proved his love is enough for you to believe that he is who he says he was? That you don't have to prove yourself to him and that you don't have to prove yourself to anybody else. To remain in his love is to continue to be with Jesus. It's to continue to abide in his love. It's continue to trust in him for all things. I know you're going to struggle with this and I know I probably made some of you mad. I want you to know there are two kingdoms in this world. There's God's kingdom and there's, there's a worldly kingdom. And you cannot be in both. In a heart, a pastor's heart that shepherds people, that reads this book and believes that what it says is true and believes that even if it costs us everything, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. I want to encourage you to continue on in the faith. Continue to believe that Jesus is greater than anything that you could ever want in this world. And you've got to fight for that. You've got to trust him. Let's pray. And as we, as we believe this truth through song, as we worship him, um, if you're in a life group, talk about this. If you've got a friends group, talk about this. If you need to talk to one of us on, up here, our elders and, and pastoral staff, come talk to us. We would love to help you continue to trust Jesus because we're in this together. Let's pray. God, I thank you. that you are enough. And Lord, you are the true vine, and the true vine is what gives life life to us, God. And you've pulled us into that vine, and you've grafted us in. And Lord, it's you working through us that produces fruit. And when that fruit doesn't come, God, you slowly and graciously and lovingly and kindly prune it to remove things so that we can trust you 
And God, I pray that you would help us to trust you this morning. We thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. We say, amen.